Hello, and welcome to the Dusk to Dawn podcast. I'm your host, Dougie, and today we're going to be talking about VR. For this episode, I'm going to go a bit more freeform than the last one because I think I felt a little bit scripted. Because I, well, was scripted. I just got a VR headset. It was nothing top of the line, but I ended up getting a Dell Visor. It's a Windows Mixed Reality headset, and I wanted to try out VR finally. I got this on eBay for about 100 bucks. used. Uh, they discontinued the Dell Visor last year, I think, or earlier this year, I'm unsure. The Dell Visor is a Windows Mixed Reality headset, like I said. It's kind of like a more budget VR. You don't have to have the sensors around the room, but it still tracks all your movements from the lights on your controller, and you can pretty much play anything on Steam. I mean, there are some games that don't really like to work with it, but that's fine. I got it for Boneworks, mostly. It's my personal opinion that, up until now, VR was a bit rudimentary. Everything felt like a tech demo that I played. My friend, he had a Vive, and I would go over, I'd play Gorn, Swords and Sorcery, and... Well, it'd be fun. But... Something felt missing. It didn't feel full. It didn't feel like a full experience, I guess. It was super limited. Everything was just kind of in one room, one area. You couldn't walk around and explore. You had one thing you could really do. It was fight, stab. You could do magic, but it never felt, like, diverse. It never felt like I could really explore the world that I was in. When I saw Boneworks, I I knew I had to go for it. I went on eBay, and I wasn't even looking for virtual reality. I was looking for a bed frame. But I guess that's how being an adult works. You go online looking for one thing, and you end up getting a VR headset. I didn't plan on getting one for a long time, and I wanted to get the Index, but I can't spend $1,000. I actually haven't gotten the headset yet. Um, It's in the mail. It's on its way. But I just wanted to take this week to kind of talk about the current state of VR, and then next week I wanted to talk more about my personal experience of what VR was like for me. I never really felt like someone who was really affected by motion sickness like most people say they are. Um, I think that could just be luck. (laughs) I wear glasses and it makes a lot of VR headsets kind of wonky. I think that I've kind of been in an opportune time for VR specifically, I feel like because I graduated high school a couple of years before VR became big, it gave me a lot of free time to really delve into it. I'd been interested in VR as a concept since I was probably around five. I used to play this game, Beachhead 2000. Um, It was a rail shooter. You kind of sat on a beach. I wouldn't even call it a rail shooter. It was a stationary defense shooter, more like a tower defense than anything. You were on a beach. You had a gun, it was World War II, and you were defending against U-boats coming in. It was pretty rudimentary, but I remember I had the PC version, and there was an arcade release of it where you pulled this big, bulky VR headset with, I don't even think it was screens, I think it was mirrors that went to a screen onto your head. And with that, you could just gun down Nazis all around you. It was a single display, I believe, and I remember back then I was thinking, wow, there's so much you could do with this, uh... I never had a power glove or anything like that, but I always thought, because I saw them online, that if you mix those 
movement and really, what do you call them? Dynamic controls, I guess? You'd have something really interesting. I've never been more excited to own something gaming related <laughs> than this VR headset. I guess I should get into VR headsets more than my own personal taste in games. VR as we know it started around 1968. I guess I should say the first HMD, or head-mounted display, if you're not trying to sound elitist like I just was. It couldn't really show games or anything intricate because this was the 60s, but what it could show is 3D wireframe shapes like squares and spheres, and it would kind of just project it more like mixed reality or augmented reality onto wherever you were looking. It was just two lenses, and it projected light onto the lenses. It was this big, bulky thing, and it never really got past the lab, but it was a pretty big step when it came to the whole idea of 3D images being projected on a head-mounted display. After that, we got a flight simulator from GE, and then in 1975, we got Kruger's Video Place, which was a little projector. It would record what you were doing, project you onto a screen, and bounce a little ball around. This was the closest we got to a VR game to begin with. Then in 1979, the U.S. military integrated some VR into its heads-up displays for pilots. There isn't much info on this one as to what the pilots were seeing, but it says that they were computer-generated images. The 80s was kind of the VR boom, though. You started to get companies actually making VR headsets, gloves, controllers. They were mostly for medical and scientific use. We didn't really have a range of VR games, but you had flight simulators, you had NASA using them to train their astronauts, and then after that, Mattel released the Power Glove for the NES at the very tail end of the 80s. This was what I first knew as, like, a VR controller, I guess. It was inaccurate, it used fiber optics and the bend of the fingers, it would cut off light sources that would tell the console how much they'd been bent, and then tell the input amount based off of that. In the 90s, you just had VR everywhere. You had NASA using it still, Sega was making arcade machines, Nintendo released the Virtual Boy, there was research into PTSD and exposure therapy for veterans, so that they could basically look into virtual scenes from Vietnam and be exposed to it to try to get over their PTSD or try to lessen the effects, I should say. And then after that, you hit the 2000s. Google had Street View on Maps. They started to release that little 3D mode where you could look around and see everything on the view. It essentially puts you in the place of someone who's on the street, and if you've ever used this, you know it's a lot better than it used to be. You used to not even be able to look around. You just get one static forward view, because they weren't even using 3D cameras originally. And then after that's where you start to get into the fun stuff. In the 2012s, you start getting the Oculus being kickstarted. You get the Vive. Then we come all the way up to now, Valve introducing the Index. You have Windows Mixed Reality. You have Google Cardboard. You can view it on your phone. You can have it standalone. There's Oculus Quest, which is a standalone Oculus that has its own little store with apps. I just think it's amazing. That can, I mean, I graduated in 2013. 
I didn't even think VR would be viable until the 2020s. It didn't seem like something that the market was really going towards. I knew I always wanted to be immersed in games, and I think the closest back then was GTA V had just come out. That was the most immersive experience you got, and not to bash the game, but being able to grapple on a ceiling and punch VR dummies to death. That's something I never would have thought would happen. I wasn't even that excited about VR until recently. They announced Half-Life Alex about a month ago now, and Half-Life's always been one of my favorite series. When I was a kid, me and my dad used to play it a ton. We used to play Deathmatch, we used to play Counter-Strike. I remember playing Gunman Chronicles, which was a really weird licensed gold source game. You play it as what I can describe as like a cowboy space bounty hunter. It had customizable weapons and all of this weird, weird, all these weird systems that you never would have thought you'd see in a game from 2000. It always makes me a little bit sad because my dad passed away when I was younger and he was, I wouldn't say really into games, but he liked all of those immersive games. He likes first person shooters and everything that now has become a staple for VR. It would have been nice for him to be able to see it. I don't really have that far to delve into the subject yet, and I really want to dig more into what my personal tastes in VR are next week. I should be getting my headset tomorrow. Tentatively. It's through FedEx, and I haven't had good experiences with FedEx in years. But hopefully I can get a good five days of play in and really dig into the games that I like. I'll have more info next week, but for now I think I want to get into the topics like movies and shows that I've been watching. This week I want to give a proper warning <laughs> compared to last week. There's going to be spoilers. I'm going to be talking about a movie, a couple of games that I've been playing, and I'm going to go a lot more spoiler-heavy this week. I want to dig more into the movie and what I liked about it, and that's kind of a necessity if I want to do that. I'm a little bit behind this week with the topic that I'm going after. We're talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's ninth film. I want to start off by saying I'm not a film critic. I don't have any degrees or anything special. I'm just a person who likes to watch movies, so if I sound snobby or artsy and I can't back it up, I do apologize. This is, well, was one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino films I've seen in a long time, and I've seen every single one. I'm a bit biased here. The only one that I really didn't like was Jackie Brown, and that's just because it's not the same sort of vibe that I'm going for with his movies. Quentin Tarantino has always been a really pulpy, over-the-top, edgy director, and I think it's a good thing to have people who make movies like that around. I really like the fact that you don't really know what's going to come in one of his movies. You don't know, like, the bloodshed that's going to happen in Django. You have no idea the gimp scene is coming in Pulp Fiction. And I really like that about his movies. It's like the I'm a cop scene from the end of Reservoir Dogs, when they're laying there and the character didn't need to tell the other guy he was a cop. He could have let him die happily knowing he'd saved his friend, but he drops it on him and lets him know, I'm a cop, and then the guy has to die knowing that. I think that this movie has one of the best twists out of all of them, because the entire movie I'm wondering, when is this going to become a Quentin Tarantino film? 
there's all the foot shots and there's all the ass shots and there's all the music that you'd expect. But there's none of the violence and none of the over-the-top grit of his movies. I think that the way that this movie builds up, you see Sharon Tate there early on, you see Charles Manson, and you know it's going to be the focus of the movie. You know that it's going to be about he lives next door to them, next to the Polanski residence, and you know that he's going to kill her. But you're just waiting. You're waiting for it to happen. All of her scenes are very extra. They kind of just let you sympathize with her. And they focus more on the main character and his friend. Leonardo DiCaprio does a really good job. Brad Pitt does a really good job of coming off with that really weird friendship dynamic they have. Where it's an employee and his boss, but they're really close and they really care about each other. But they have to hide it behind that weird macho man aesthetic of being like, oh, it's just work. (laughs) The final scene, when he's holding that dog food can, and he's smoked that acid-dipped cigarette, I kept waiting. I kept waiting for him to do something with that can. And when he finally did, I (laughs) I started laughing. He threw it at the girl, breaks her nose, and she just starts screaming... And it's, you know, you shouldn't be laughing at that. You shouldn't be laughing at this woman being beat up, but she's a bad person, and you had been waiting for that stereotypical Quentin Tarantino pulp to kick in. I think it's genuinely one of the best movies that's come out this year. I liked The Joker. I, I did. I didn't think I was going to like it, but I think that they are the two best films that I saw this year in theaters. I guess it's disregarding The Lighthouse, but I don't want to get into that. Uh, I'm going to save that for the beginning of the year so I can get a bit more info. I got the Blu-ray pre-ordered and I want to re-watch it and take it in some more before I talk about it. I I like it. I would recommend you see it if you haven't. You should rent it, buy it, just make a night of it, bring, have some friends over. Preferably friends that can stay quiet during important scenes. That is probably my worst quality when watching movies as I talk about the movie the entire time. And hell, I know I do, but I still do it. It's one of those habits where you gotta be really on top of it if you want to stop it from happening. I think that's all that I want to talk about when it comes to that movie, though. I want to leave some of the atmosphere to it if you haven't seen it. If you somehow stuck around and spoiled it for yourself... I don't want to give away every little nuance of it, but I want you to know that it's definitely worth seeing even with what I've said about it. I'm recording this one a lot later than last time, and I'm trying to work around all the outside noises because the sun rose up, everyone's going to work now, so if you hear background noise, I'm really sorry, but I do want to talk about one more thing. Halo a Reach. I guess I should have done it last week when it was a little more relevant, but... Halo Reach was a really big game for me because of the time it came out. I used to play it with my best friend. And, well, my best friend group, I should say. It was three or four of us. And we would just play custom game modes all the time. We would do Firefight a ton. I remember I had every bit of armor unlocked, every particle effect unlocked. Halo's just always been one of those games, you know. 
I think that since it came out, I've probably played through the campaign at least four or five times with my friends. I kind of forgot how dumb it felt to get in vehicles and just ride around and gun down Covenant. I don't really play shooters as much as I used to, but Halo is just one of those series where whenever I play it, it brings me back. I remember the first time I played Halo 2. I must have been 2006? I was a little past when it came out, because I didn't have an Xbox until a little bit later. But I remember playing Halo 2 and just being amazed. I remember playing through the co-op campaign with my grandma's next-door neighbor. We played through the entire thing in one sitting almost, and I remember I just kept dying and dying because he wanted to play on Heroic, and I was definitely an easy mode kid. I kind of miss that. I miss that feeling of playing a co-op game for the first time and being, like, oblivious to how good it is, because I haven't looked back on a game and felt amazed with the effects after I played it in years. I think the last one I can remember would be... I can't even remember one. Left 4 Dead 2? I remember playing Left 4 Dead 2 when it first came out. I played it at PAX. If you couldn't gather from my intro video, I live near Seattle. And uh, this was when PAX Prime was the big PAX, not PAX East. I remember that was the last time I waited in line for a game for hours. I waited in line to play it because it was the first time anyone had gotten to play the game. It was a super early version. All the models were different. Everything sounded different. But I knew then that was going to be my game for a while, and it was for three years. And then nothing, nothing after that. I remember playing Halo 4 and Halo 5. I'm not a big console player, but I had an Xbox One for a while. And there was something about 4 that felt wrong. I think it had to do with how the HUD looked, because everything looked different. The art style was slightly different. It was shaded differently. It looked a bit more shiny. And then I played 5, and they took all those weird Destiny-like elements where you had like the hub world with the Sanghealy, and you had the four-player co-op where you could be downed and picked back up. Everything felt like fan service. You had characters like Buck from ODST, who Reach did have fan service to it where Buck was in it. But that was like right when it had come out. They must have recorded his voice lines for both of them at the same time. I just feel like going back to Reach, even if it is an easy cash grab for Microsoft, I don't know if I should say easy because they did have to port the whole game, but if it's just a cash grab, I'm glad they did it. Because I have so many memories <laughs> tied to Halo. And I haven't been able to play them since I stopped having a 360 and an Xbox One. It's really nice. I think the closest I've had is Halo Wars. And while I do like Halo Wars, uh, I've been playing it because of the Xbox Game Pass. It's not the same feeling. All in all, if you haven't played Halo Reach, go try it out. I don't think it's going to be the same thing it is for you that it is for everyone else that's really into it, because I think a good heavy amount of it is nostalgia. It's that feeling of playing with your Xbox friends, because, I mean, for me, I'm using the same Xbox account. I'm playing with a lot of the same friends I played back then. But if you're just trying to get that feeling and you don't keep in touch with those friends, don't, don't grasp at nostalgia. Like I said last episode, you should never try to grasp at that childhood feeling. Because you're never going to get it. You're never going to get it. I think that might be it for this week. 
I want to go a bit more relaxed like I did with this episode. I don't want to heavily edit it like I did with the last one because it took me like four hours and it just sounded awkward. I removed too many vocal pauses and it just, it didn't feel natural. It didn't feel like just hanging out like this does. This It feels like I'm just talking to a friend, you know? With that being said, I'm going to try to keep this upload schedule of Wednesdays. Sorry, I heard like a weird thunking noise and I had to pause for a second. But I'm going to try and keep this upload schedule. It feels a lot better to have a schedule, you know, keep it uploaded each week. If there's any time that I can't upload, I'll make sure to let you know the week ahead or I'll upload a short little audio clip to let everyone know that this week I'll either release later or I won't be able to have one. I want to thank Nick Spheres for the song Jubilee that I use. I love Nyx's work. Nyx has always been a huge, huge inspiration for my work. And I just like what May's doing. You can go check her channel out on YouTube at Nyx Fears. Aside from that, you can find me on YouTube at the Dusk to Dawn Podcast. You can find me on Spotify under Dusk to Dawn Podcast. And again, please don't be a stranger. Really nice to hear your voice. Get back to me when you can, okay?